Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. And while you're turning there, just a couple of things. It's good to have all of you here. And everyone in this building right now is very welcomed. And um, we appreciate your, your being here. And we prayed for this day. And here it is. So we're going to read God's word. Just one verse. And then we'll, we'll get on with it. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see at just the right time when we... We're still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Let's, let's pray. Just a short hymn, but my heart is, is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside, who floods my weakness with his strength and causes fears to fly. Father, thank you for what has just taken place. Thank you. Again, for the kids being so willing to practice and prepare and to pray so that we could hear of your plan from your world, a word to save the world. And right now, as we look to you and to your word, we, I reject all thoughts of self-sufficiency and personal ability to preach, to understand, to believe. As your word is taught, we are needy people. We gladly accept that. We feel very safe, God, in that confession for in our weakness, the power of Christ is promised to us. And that is what we all need, beginning with myself, and that is what we ask for. So then, Father, may your spirit be our teacher. Allow no one to leave here, no one listening online, unforgiven and not in Christ, and reconciled in whatever way that is needed. And for Jesus' sake and for your glory, broaden our view of forgiveness and grace in Christ. Amen. There is no one on this planet, and beginning with myself, there's no person in this room who has not stood in daily need of God's forgiveness. Now, that changes a lot of things, changes how we see the world, how we see ourselves. We are infinitely needy people of God's forgiveness, but it also means a lot of things. And one of the main things it means is that there's never been a person in the world or in this room who has not stood in need of God's grace. So a long time ago, a gentleman named Augustus Toplady, he a, was a pastor and, and a hymn writer. He died at a pretty early age, 37. He wrote probably a hymn, you know, the title of Rock of Ages. And in Rock of Ages, he has this one line, which is good. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And he... And he said also at an end-of-the-year sermon, so just picture him. He's up here. He's talking to the congregation. So this was, if you would, for public consumption. 
And this is what he said, upon a review of the past year, I desire to emphasize that my unfaithfulness has been exceedingly great, my sin still greater, but God's grace greater than both. My shortcomings and my misdoings, my unbelief and want of love would sink me into the lowest hell was not Jesus, my righteousness and my redeemer. So I have no doubt at all that if Augustus was here, he would agree that there's never been a man or a woman in this world who's not stood in daily need of God's forgiveness. And therefore, there has never been a man or a woman or a young person on this planet who has not stood in need of God's grace. Because God's grace is how God saves people. That is, to put people in the right with God right now in life and the forever past our death, which, which is coming for us all. And loved ones, God's grace was costly to him. I mean, didn't you kind of hear that in some of the readings from the scriptures? Because the story that we just heard from, from these kids, these beautiful kids, would be an absolute misery if the grace of God was not lined all through those truthful realities. I mean, the very first reading, Adam disobeys God's one do not. So just one don't is given, but Adam does, and he literally, I mean, if you think about it, he had everything going for him in paradise, no less. The world was fresh, the world was new, sin and death weren't even around, and, and yet he did what he did. And did you kind of want to leap for joy when, I think it was Zeke read from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. You didn't hear the first part. The first part was, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. This is, this is about Jesus. Or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. I mean, when you hear that, don't you just want to leap a little bit and say, thank you, God? Because speaking for myself... I do, and I say, sometimes, a lot of terrible things. So God's grace was costly to him. He planned for his pain. Grace put Christ on the cross to painfully die for sins. Or you say, okay, why painful death? Uh, punishment and death is God's warranted penalty for sin. And Jesus Christ took both. He was punished by the very people whose sins would have justifiably reversed that scene. So we're on the cross, he's not there. And then he dies on the cross, and did you see it in Romans 5, 6? For the ungodly. So that on the cross, you, you see what God thinks of sin. It's, it's brutal. But you also see what God thinks of sinners. Romans 5, 6, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, powerless. Okay, just think about that word for a moment. The Greek word there has the idea of frail, feeble, destitute, destitute of power, lacking the ability to give what is needed, impotent. And that is all of us outside of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means the determining factor in your relationship with God is not really your past, but the past of Jesus Christ. Not your record, but the perfect record of Jesus Christ. 
And you see, that's why we take the time on a morning like this in December to read through the Bible, the Word of God, to remember the true story, this beautiful salvation story of grace, which runs just right through the entire Bible. This is all about all of us, every one of us, standing in need of the same exact thing in the same exact measure. Do we understand that? We need the same exact thing in the same exact measure. And to tell us that we were powerless, the, the great basis then of our Christian assurance is not, much, is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. So we all have this spectacular need of grace, this endless need of grace as a human being. Therefore, every ransomed, forgiven Christian man, Christian woman, Christian young person owes their salvation to the fact that that during the days of our sinning and during the days of our rejection, God kept the door of mercy open. Do you understand that? He kept the door of grace and mercy open by refusing to accept any of our evil as the final act to shut the door. He still does. Because we still sin. Loved ones, that is grace. That is grace. We come into this world as powerless, natural-born sinners. Uh, Romans 5, 6 again says we are ungodly. And only the proud in heart and weak in mind would deny that reality. And we kind of know it as parents. I'm glad most of the kids are gone. But, but as, as parents, we don't have to teach our kids how to lie and how to hate and how to be cruel and how to be jealous and how not to forgive, right? We never had a special class for that. Like, Jimmy, you're not hating. You're hating like a two-year-old. Come on, Jimmy. Really, really hate. It's natural for them to behave that way. And as we get older, it, it, it doesn't all go away, does it? Now, we're aware of it a bit more, but we don't completely stop it. And we can never lose sight of that. And so this means a person doesn't become and remain a Christian by keeping all the rules. A person becomes a Christian by despairing of their own righteousness, throwing themselves like a helpless child, asking for mercy and asking for the grace of God's forgiveness and righteousness. And that is exactly what God gives. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That, and I never get tired of saying this, that we can wake up every morning with the deeply encouraging realization that we are accepted by God, not on the basis of our personal performance, right? That's how the world is fueled. We're not accepted by God on the basis of our personal performance, but, but on the infinite, unshakable, unchangeable righteousness of Jesus Christ. Please listen to your Bible. It bears this out. God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Another, God reconcile you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Another, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One more, this is the Apostle Paul. I do not set aside the grace of God, for acceptance with God could come by keeping all the rules. Then Christ died for nothing. 
So right in the thick of our rebellion, right in the, in the heat and height of our sin, Christ died. And did you notice in those verses that I read that our righteousness runs through a person, Jesus Christ, and his behavior, and not our behavior, meaning the grace of God and the giving of his son Jesus and his death on the cross is fundamental, is foundational to every person being made right with God. But you see, because there's no such thing as a graceless, crossless Christianity. And if you believe that, then that changes how you relate to God and how you relate to other people, and it changes how you relate to yourself. You see, the only one who could see the real you, God, the, the only one who knows the full you, he loves you to the sky. <laughs> There's a hymn that I just learned a couple of weeks ago. It's an older one, but it has this line. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and a thousand more. Jehovah know not one. So in the gospel, this is a deeper satisfaction. This is a deeper security beyond the walls of this world, beyond our capacities, beyond our commitments to be good and to do good. This is love. This is the love of God rooted in the grace of God and the sending of the Son of God who, who was born to die. And you see, you could be here this morning, and you could come with a whole host of struggles, a whole host of fears, of sins, of, of issues— and by the way, you're very welcome here. You need to know there is an infinite supply of grace just waiting for you. And we all need to know that the only love that will not disappoint us is the love that will not change, is a love that cannot be lost, is a love not based on the ups and downs of life and how well we live, or even, as crazy as it sounds, even how well we look. Real love, the Bible says, desires, instinctively desires permanence. Real love wants other people to flourish. Real love then is self-giving, and, and real love then can only be fueled by grace. And God's love is the only love like that. And that is what we have in the gospel. You see, our situation would be absolutely hopeless if we were left to ourselves. Had not the very majesty of God in the person of Jesus Christ promised, right, right after Abraham's sin, or Adam's sin, he did Abraham's sin too, but right after Adam's sin, right there, here comes the prom promise. And the promise had to be kept in check. That we listened to the kids through the centuries. The grace of God was fought desperately by humanity fought hard against him. And then he comes down to us. I, I never get over this. He comes down in less than a cell, a single cell, and he puts himself inside the womb of a dear woman, Mary. He had to come down because it wasn't in our power to come up. And then the holy night, right, in a manger. Loved ones, that is grace. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And again, that's who we are apart from Christ. And so, loved ones, that is grace. And God's grace, grace means God's loving action toward people who deserve the opposite of love. 
Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who, who would not and could not lift a finger to save themselves. And by the way, if grace depends on our cooperation, then you know, then it's not grace. Because grace was God sending his only son to the cross. And here it is. Here's this list. This is, if you would, our Christmas list so that we could receive forgiveness. (laughs) It means God is working in you right now. It means he calls you and has called you into a living fellowship with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. It means he will raise you from death to life. Grace means he will seal you as his own by the gift of the Holy Spirit, transform you into the very image of Christ, and and finally will raise our weak old bodies into his glorious body on that last day. So by the grace of God, we are what we are, will, will be what we will be, because God's grace is not without effect. And here's what I need to ask you this morning. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? The crucified Christ is the risen Christ. The ascended Christ is the returning Christ. So where, where do you stand with Jesus Christ this morning? There's a book. It's by Marilyn Robinson. It's called Gilead. It's, it's a fictional story. And, and, of course, there's an old pastor in the book. It's John Ames, I think is his name. And he, in this one little section, he kind of laments over the religious person in their pride who, who works really hard at defending the truth, but they've never actually experienced the truth. And this is what he says. You, you can exert the existence of something having not the slightest notion of what it is. So you can, you, know, you can exert and defend the existence of grace, but it's possible to not have the slightest notion of, of what it actually is. So I say, do you know this grace? Do you know this Jesus? Fifteen years ago, a gunman took a hostage, you probably know this, in a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. I was in the car with my wife when I heard this all unfolding. The person shot 10 children, 7 to 13, 5 of them died, and then he took his own life. And I'm just quoting now from an article I read two days ago. Within hours, members of the Amish community visited both the killer's immediate family and his parents, each time expressing sympathy for their loss. That is, one by one, expressed forgiveness of the murderer and his family. The forgiveness and love shown shown toward the shooter and his family amazed so many people. Four years later, which is why I read this article, a a group of scholars wrote about the incident. One of the main conclusions was that our secular culture is not likely to produce people who can handle suffering the way the Amish did. They argued that the Amish's ability to forgive was based on two things. First, At the heart of their faith was a man, our Lord Jesus Christ, dying for his enemies, dying for the ungodly. Second, listen carefully, through the life of their church, this self-sacrificing figure was explained, sung, believed, rehearsed, and celebrated repeatedly. For Jesus to give his life 
and forgive his tormentors was an act of enormous love and spiritual strength. And so within their worldview orientation, the Amish saw the grace of forgiveness as the greatest gift and virtue. The, the rehearsing of the story. The rehearsing of the story. You know, and it sounds like to me at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for, and then just put your name there, ungodly Joe, ungodly who. So do, do you know this grace? Here's a pretty good barometer. Do you know you can't live without grace? Because you can't bear to think of living without Jesus? Do, do you extend, listen carefully, do you extend levels of grace unnatural even to the best that humanity has to offer? So to the most vicious of people who would treat you with contempt, by God's grace, do you extend that grace? If you do, you know that grace. Do you believe C.S. Lewis when he wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you? And lastly, when you tell your story, not only is the grace of God in Jesus Christ in the story, it's pretty much all of the story. Luther, we who were prodigals and rags should now be children in the Father's care? Like, what? That we who were com companions of swine should now be made heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ? What? How is that possible? Grace. Oh, what love is that pays so dearly that I, the guilty one, may go free. Amazing love, what sacrifice that the Son of God given for me. My debt he pays. In my death he dies that I might live. Christians in this room live well. Live joyously. The grace of God has claimed you with an unbreakable but gentle grip. Enjoy it. And, it, and if you don't know Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus of the scriptures, if you don't know him as your king and your savior and your friend, he beckons you even now. The time's going to come for all of us when we will stand before God. And, and at that point, all the pageantry of life will end. The, 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 the minutiae of life will just draw to a close. And, and our hearts are going to be laid open view before Almighty God. That day doesn't need to trouble you because there is boundless supplies, infinite supplies of grace just waiting for you in Christ. Let's pray. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, not only was Jesus Christ born, but soon after he would die for the ungodly. Father, our prayer this morning is very, very simple. Oh, oh holy child of Bethlehem.
descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestatchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His Church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.